ever wished that you had a specialist physician who lived next door so that at random times of the day and night you could just run over and knock on the door and ask a question about your child? This is Focus on the Family with Graham Schnell. I'm Alison Schnell and today we've invited just such a person to be our guest. Well, Alison, we want to introduce folks to a friend who's run some parenting events with us, but she's also a medical doctor. And today we've asked her to share her advice, particularly on the topics of ADHD and other learning barriers. And I think you're going to find this very interesting. Mm-hmm. So many parents have questions about ADHD. It's a fairly hot topic, yeah. and it's an important one. As parents, we need to be equipped with knowledge so that we can assess whether our kids may need professional help because we want to give them the best. And then there's, if there is a diagnosis, that we have both the information and the support structures in place to really do right by our children. Yeah, absolutely, Graham. Well, our guest today is Dr. Shirley. Shirley is a family doctor who worked as a GP for 12 years before she left general practice to focus on her areas of special interest for the last four years, that of ADHD, mental health, and how the brain learns and develops. Welcome, Dr. Shirley. It's great to have you on Focus on the Family. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, before we even start, I think it's important to note that the purpose of this program is for those listening not to make a diagnosis. As tempting as that may be, as you hear information, you need to resist that temptation because you need a professional to make a diagnosis uh, that's sitting with you. Nor is the purpose to promote any particular management approach, but What we do want to do is shed some light on a largely misunderstood topic and to bring hope and encouragement for all families. Shirley, your interest in ADHD and neurodevelopment didn't just come from a fascination with the medical field. You've got some personal experience here. Would you share with us your story? Yes, thanks, Graham. In fact, um, that was my crowning title for a long time. Miss, not South Africa, but misunderstood. (laughs) And um, I love that on a coffee mug that I received from a friend of mine. And that's often how I have felt um, because of my own ADHD. I discovered that ADHD can persist into adulthood. Hmm. Even though I was a GP, I was unaware that this complex condition, which we always thought was part of childhood and maybe adolescence, could extend and have impairments in adulthood. And it was when I presented with depression and anxiety that my very wise psychiatrist was able to identify that part of the underlying cause for that was a long-standing history of ADHD. Mm. And hence... Um, my journey into understanding what I'm up against Mm. and how to overcome my particular hurdles Mm. just as anybody else would um, invest in finding out about their diabetes we can give medication but if we don't look at the lifestyle around managing this disease this disease is going to manage us Mm. and if we don't manage ADHD it definitely steals from our quality of life, mm. just as any other sickness, illness, and disorder would do. Mm. Mm. But there is hope because it is something that can be managed. And I think the first eye-opener is that it's something that can affect adults as well. I mean, I only realized that fairly recently. So uh, this might be news to some of you listening now that uh, possibly you could have ADHD. So let's start with that question of of what is 
ADHD. I know that's a big topic, but from a neuroscience or from a, a, a medical perspective, help us just understand what is this um, thing that we're dealing with. It was big news for my husband as well, because <laughs> while filling in the sort of diagnostic forms, looking at my childhood and a pattern through my life, and that's part of how we make the diagnosis, is to look at a whole lifetime history. I identified all sorts of characteristics that were very much my hubby <laughs> um, and to some extent my own. And being genetic, we've since discovered that our children, both sons of mine, do suffer from ADHD impairments. Mm. I say they suffer, but I think the whole family suffers <laughs> along <laughs> with them. But venturing into what this neuroscience is all about, it has meant less and less suffering and more and more overcoming. Sure. And that is definitely the message of Hope Graham. Mm. The neuroscience behind it is a fascinating area. With the advent of MRI scans, functional MRIs, we no longer have to rely on very archaic ways of making neurological discoveries. In the past, we had to wait for somebody to injure their brain, mm. realize what had changed in their personality or their memory to realize what part of the brain was injured. Now, functional MRIs mean that I can give you an apple, Alison, and parts of your brain will light up when you see it, when you smell it, when you taste it, when I say the word Granny Smith. <laughs> and that has given us a whole window into how the brain works. So mm. we can look forward to I think a whole new chapter, possibly whole new textbooks that will open up on how the brain works. And sure. this has been our ex our experience with ADHD. The last 35 years or so have been exponential in terms of understanding mental health, mm -hmm. which has often been shrouded in mystery and myths and half-truths um, and fears as well. Mm. The brain is an organ, just like the heart and the kidneys, etc., and it's a muscle. It grows and it gets weak. If you don't use it, you lose it, etc. <laughs> and we tend to forget that a diagnosis above the shoulders and the neck can also be a very real medical, physiological condition mm. and not just a question of willpower mm. or right thinking, etc. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, You've talked a bit about how we now understand it, um, and you've also said there's, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions. Maybe let's just go deeper into what are some of the myths, and then hopefully that'll help us also understand better what is this thing of ADHD. Right. The myth is that it's all a behavioral condition, that mm. it's often put down to bad parenting, teachers that are lazy, that can't manage a busy class, um, parents that don't know how to discipline, boys that want to be busy, mm. etc. This is a very real neurological condition, as mm. neurological as epilepsy is. Mm. It's a physical difference in the structure of the brain. It's a physical difference in sizes in parts of the brain, and it has diff different connections than other brains. It's a very neurological condition. The scans have shown that someone with ADHD has different blood flow to certain areas of the brain, different sizes in certain areas of the brain, and different connections. We now know that it's all down to a dopamine 
neurotransmission. So dopamine is one of your messengers in the brain. Just as the hormones would send messages around the body, the brain is dependent on neurotransmitters. Those are your messengers. And the big culprit here is dopamine and noradrenaline in the brain. And where it happens is in the connection. So keeping it together, keeping your train of thought on track. When information is passed down, for example, I say, Graham, my son, go and brush your teeth. Then that information has to travel down a neurological pathway, a bit like a train would have to go down the track. Mm. Information has to be passed from one piece of the track to the other by means of dopamine. And if your dopamine gets off track, you're going to get off track. Halfway down the passage, find a toy, (laughs) notice somebody's dogs barking, (laughs) get distracted by your own reflection in the mirror, and never get to brushing your teeth if you even get to the bathroom. Absolutely. That just sounds so familiar. (laughs) It was a theoretical reference to a boy called Graham. (laughs) I don't think it's Graham who can't make it down the passage. I think it's one of our daughters. Alison's laughing because we are definitely experiencing. We haven't had a diagnose, so, uh, but we, we believe that there's some potentially a strong case of ADHD with one of our daughters. And Everybody. that is ex- an exact example of brushing teeth. We can ask her about six or seven times and even watch her while she's going down the passage saying, teeth, 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 teeth. <laughs> and she'll still manage to get to the bathroom and forget why she's there. Um, and because you said it's genetic, I'm just wondering which one of us that comes from. Um, definitely not me, I'm fairly sure. We all have some tendencies to get off track. I mean, that is the nature of our brain. So ADHD is just an extreme form of what we all experience at Mm. some stage. So all of us have lost our keys. Let's not say us because I do it often. Most people will have lost their keys once, forgotten an appointment, been late, misplaced their cell phone, often not while talking on it, which (laughs) I have done before, (laughs) but misplaced their cell phone, not noticed a stop street, etc. So... This is how the brain works. But if you're having that most days, in most situations, most of the time, then Mm. that amount of evidence is adding up towards a diagnosis. So there's many things that will make somebody be distracted on the way down to the teeth and the toothpaste. Mm. Mm. But it's when there's a clustering of symptoms. We say more than six symptoms, more than six months, uh, persisting for more than six months, in more than one setting, so not just in the classroom, not yeah. just down the passage. It yeah. has to be at home, at work, at school, at sport, at recreation mm. to be a real diagnosis. Mm. So we often ask for several reports of how does this ch- child function in all of these settings and yeah. not just one teacher's opinion or one parent's opinion or one grandparent's opinion sure. of how this child is functioning. I think that's an important point because, as you say, all of us will have struggled with some of these things at times. I I laughed and looked at Alison when he talks about misplacing the phone while on it. Alison will remember well about misplacing a child while holding the child and asking me, where is Jada? (laughs) But there you can understand she had been... Uh, having sleepless nights uh, for a number of months with new babies and uh, so there's a 
Momnesia. Yeah. Yes. Not amnesia, not ADHD, just <laughs> momnesia. <laughs> and so it's when there, as you say, can, where there's consistent episodes of this in different settings um, that you can start to, to wonder about whether this may need a diagnosis. Tell us and about inconsistency, Graham, because okay. it happens inconsistently in different settings. And that's where a lot of parents struggle with the observation that their child is, for example, distractible because he might be able to play Lego for three hours, but he can't write down three sentences. Uh. And the difference is between attention, interest, time of the day, mm-hmm. enthusiasm, who's next to me, what the incentive is, etc. Sure. And I think that's what makes it confusing for for teachers, for doctors, for therapists and for parents mm. is that he can write neatly, but today he's not. So the assumption is he's naughty, he's mm. lazy, he's not interested. Meanwhile, it's the inconsistency of keeping his thoughts on track that makes it so paradoxical, so up and down in terms of performance. And Mm. there we're talking about academic performance, behavioral performance, social functioning, self-esteem, emotional temperament. These kids can really have all four seasons, not in one day, but in one hour. Mm. Emotional lability is often one of the most impairing parts of ADHD. Everybody tends to talk about hyperactivity, inattention, impulsivity, But Dr. Russell Barkley, being one of the leaders in this field, will say we need to actually give enough emphasis on emotional dysfunction because that is where the huge downfall is. Sure. What are some of the positive qualities associated with ADHD as we start to move into the hope that we can offer? Absolutely. There are many gifted people that in retrospect would have qualified for a diagnosis of ADHD amongst them being Einstein, Mm. um, Thomas Edison, who was said to be uneducable, and yet (laughs) 200 times he failed and 201 he he made. (laughs) He did, he did. He made the light bulb. Um, Several personalities these days, not all we would acclaim as being role models, but um, Richard Branson, huge successes, huge Mm. losses. difficult relations, um, difficult family life, and yet an entrepreneur par excellence, definitely ADHD. Hmm. So often the good qualities are things like creativity, Hmm. thinking out the box, going beyond the expected, Hmm. um, being a forerunner, going where your parents would not dare to tread or dread. (laughs) (laughs) So often... Uh, very self-driven, although they look like they're distractible. Once something captures their attention, then we have what's called hyper-focus. And then the no brakes and the all-go and the speed of that Ferrari brain is phenomenal. Hmm. So we need to harness their potential. We need to tap into what makes them tick because then they are a Ferrari at its best. Mm. And to move on to the treatment um, or our approach uh, to having had a diagnosis. So again, we're not trying to help you make your diagnosis at home, but you've been to a a doctor who's now made this diagnosis and hopefully that doctor will help you with, with what that approach needs to be. But what are some of those treatments, both 
on the medical side and just on the parental side, how do we handle this situation? We talk about a Ferrari brain, but bicycle brakes, yeah. as coined by Dr. Edward Halliwell. So we need to help these kids with brakes. Yeah. Part of that is the medical management because it is a neurological condition. So the area of the brain that's responsible for the brakes, your impulse control center, mm. is underdeveloped. It okay. runs out of dopamine. It forgets what the consequences were last time. It doesn't think of what the consequences will be yeah. and therefore rushes in. Mm. So your whole mechanism of stop, think, and then act is delayed by almost 30%. So sure. you can have mm. a 12-year-old acting like a 9-year-old in terms of impulse control, self-control, emotional control, emotional appropriateness, etc. Mm. So we do help these kids with medication. There have been several studies that show that even with the best parental intervention, intensive parental guidance, teacher guidance, structure, routine, that the kid's response wasn't nearly as impressive as it was with medication. Mm. And obviously in that study, the kids that were given medication as well as environmental intervention had the mm. best results. So it's the combination. The combination, absolutely. Yeah. And because these kids are so often misunderstood, we can damage them so badly by what we say and how we look at them when we call them lazy, naughty, stupid, unmotivated. Mm. Why can't you learn this? When are you going to get it right? You're such an embarrassment. There's so much shame and blame that mm. goes along with something that they haven't yet learned to manage. Yeah. It's a learning delay. Mm. So you wouldn't punish a nine-year-old for skills that a 12-year-old is expected to have. Mm. So we need a lot more grace. Mm. Yeah. These kids are like doing their learner's license on the Ferrari Kailami racetrack. Mm. So they are going to spin out of control more often. They need to have guidance to get around the corners. They need those extra sandbanks before they hit the barriers or hit mm. the punishment because it takes more laps to get these pathways laid down in the brain. Yeah. And that needs a lot of compassion and understanding. Yeah. So as parents, we need to be there with a the checkered flag to wave them on for every lap for every piece of progress, for every skill, for every round that they do manage to do. Mm. These kids have inherently low self-esteem. Self-esteem is also based on dopamine. Mm. And if yours is running out on those tracks, your bucket of self-esteem and self-worth is going to be low a lot of the time. Added to that, there is the poor results in class mm. or the labeling from the teacher or the misunderstanding from your peer group, they yeah. are set up for a low self-esteem. So sure. we need to be the cheerleaders yeah. as much as we need to be the pace car that yeah. comes onto the track, says there's an oil spill, slow down guys, let's mm. do this lap again, and then lets them run loose. Mm. And to encourage mm. the Ferrari to be the Ferrari he is, <laughs> not to be happy to go up and down the daily routine. These Ferraris need to do what they were made to do, yeah. to harness their full potential. So there's a lot of hope uh, that we can offer that with that diagnosis, doesn't, it doesn't come with doom and gloom. It actually comes with an opportunity. And, and the kinds of things that you're speaking about from a parenting perspective are not necessarily unique. Uh, we all need to encourage all of our children. We need to be their cheerleaders. We need to have grace. But there's almost just an added element or, or an extra measure that we offer that can come, I think, when we are aware that there's a challenge 
I think if you can, if I would imagine a a child with a physical disability, we would we would have an extra measure of grace. We'd have an extra measure of patience. We wouldn't expect everything to be done in the same way. Absolutely. Uh, and so, and it's not necessarily to draw those comparisons. But it is saying have that level of grace and patience and understanding and be that child's cheerleader, be the one that's supporting and spurring them on to greatness, which is what they certainly can become. Absolutely. Uh, it would almost be easier if your child was in a wheelchair, not to downplay that, but because the community around you would have more understanding and compassion yeah. for the struggles mm -hmm. that you're up against in the child themselves and as parents yeah. and yet this is a silent condition and the parents often suffer from a lot of shame and blame and finger pointing without the measure of understanding from the people mm. around them yeah it's a bit like walking the mountains of parenting and yet with adhd and special needs you're that much closer to the edge in fact mm. you probably had to climb the cliff face to get there yeah. so your progress is slower you need the tools and the support and the interventions and the therapy and the the doctor's visits and you can't let go of that rope because if they fall on the cliff face it's dangerous whereas if you fall on the mountain path you might just hit your knee on a stone mm. so they're up against a much steeper climb mm. and the parents need to be encouraged to hang in there because mm. once you reach the top of that precipice the view that these kids have of the world is breathtaking. Mm -hmm. Other parents might be having picnics along their mountaining journey of parenting and enjoying the journey, whereas the kids with special needs, they're on that cliff face. Mm. But hang in there. Mm. It's worth the climb. Yeah. I'm thinking of that parents who's maybe like us identified that maybe one or more of their children could well be facing ADHD what would you say as an encouragement to that person in terms of their next step what should they do the developing brain is phenomenal the brain can develop at any age but when they are young they have the opportunity to mold that brain and those pathways in the best way so I would say rather overreact rather mm. have that evaluation done mm. if you know what you're dealing with you can get the right equipment the right therapy the right intervention at a young age mm. the brain develops what we call a scaffolding laying down our foundational skills and if those are well set at an early years then they can build on that solid foundation for the rest of their years mm. so it's not nice for any parent to hear I think your child should go for an evaluation. Mm. But if you know what you're up against, you can be that much more intentional mm. about getting the help that they need at that early age when neuron pathways are being laid down, before the damage in relationships, before the damage in their self-esteem. Mm. Self-esteem is largely developed until about the age of 9 to 11 years old, according to Profenta. Mm. So we have a precious few years to mm. really build into that mm. sense of self and sense of worth. Mm. So rather have it evaluated. A teacher can't make a diagnosis. Therapists on their own don't make a diagnosis, not even a doctor. You need to have a collection of evidence, questionnaires, mm. evaluations in order to define what we're dealing with yeah. and what specifically we're dealing with. Mm. Well, Dr. Shirley, thank you so much for your time with us. Thank you for sharing insights into this very broad area, but also giving hope and encouragement to parents 
that this is a journey that we can we can do well on and that our kids can still thrive. And so we appreciate you being with us. I really felt as though Dr. Shirley shone a light on ADHD today. From a medical perspective, in terms of what ADHD is and how it's diagnosed, but also from a parenting perspective in that this condition is manageable and that the journey may be a little more hair-raising, but incredibly rewarding on the other side. We have two brilliant resources on offer today for parents who want ideas and answers around the subject of ADHD. Kathy Cook has written a phenomenal book called Eight Great Smarts. She says, children who believe they're smart excel more in school and approach life with greater confidence. She'll equip you to help your child be all that God designed him or her to be. We're also offering What's the Fuss About ADHD? Written mainly for parents of children with ADHD, this book explores the controversies surrounding the condition and presents the relevant science in a way that is accessible and readable. You'll find these and other helpful resources on our website at safamily.co.za or you can call us on 031-716-3300 to order. I hope you enjoyed this locally produced Focus on the Family broadcast. We're going to be airing some of our favorite local programs in the month of October as a part of our celebration of 30 years of ministry in Africa this year. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.